I can't even express the joy that my heart feels each Sunday in this theater. Uh, I've been in church most of my adult life, and I've never felt the Spirit move in the way that He does here uh, on, on Sunday mornings. And, and now maybe that says more about me than the church services I've attended, but I don't know. What I, what I do uh, know, I, I do consider it a blessing to, and, and an honor to, to worship uh, with all of you here in this house on, on Sundays. I don't take this for granted. Uh, I thank God daily for, for calling me out of my comfort zone and pushing me to start a faith movement in a movie theater in Greenwood, South Carolina. So uh, what I want you to do real quick is find three neighbors, tell them God is in this place. We got to remind them. Find three, three neighbors. God is in this place. We got to let them know we are in a the movie theater. That wasn't the coming attractions. I'm waiting for one day a film to actually start showing at some like while we're just, you know, in here going and just, I don't know, that thing might just kick on and start showing a movie and that would be fun. Depending, we'll just sit down and watch, I guess. I don't know. We're in the second week of the series aptly named Legacy. Uh, this is somewhat of a vision series where we're touching on our mission statement uh, and some of the core values that we use to guide um, and, and, and guide our, our direction as a church. And so last week we covered our mission statement. Uh, I love crowd participation, so would you indulge me and, and read this aloud together, our mission statement? Stand by. There we go. Uh, we are for God and his kingdom. We are four people in this city. It's a simple, simple statement that I think packs a lot of punch. And it is through this lens, uh, is, is this, by this lens through which we do ministry. Uh, we also have nine core values. And I said that um, in, in just three weeks, this, this kind of three-week series, there's no way that we can cover all of them. So last week we hit two. Um, God created us. Two. That's kind of how all of our core. That's how all of our core values start because it's not about who we are uh, at all, but it's about who God has created us to be, and that's where we want to live in that space. That's where we want to operate in the center of God's will, living out the life that He created us for. Amen. And so, uh, so we touched on God created us to leave a legacy, which only seemed appropriate since our name is Legacy City Church and the series is entitled Legacy. I felt like we had to talk a little bit about the legacy uh, that God is calling us to leave. We also covered uh, the value that says that God created us to be dedicated to worship, prayer, and the word. And we already do, I think, a good job of honoring that every single Sunday morning, at least on Sunday mornings we do a good job of that, hopefully in our lives outside of here as well. Uh, but since we were kicking off the 21 days of prayer and fasting, uh, we wanted to touch on it some more and focus specifically on, on fasting for a few moments. So if you haven't jumped in yet, if you haven't jumped in on, on fasting yet, let me encourage you, 21 days of prayer and fasting, there's still time. There's still 14 days left, and, and there's no limit to what God can do in the next two weeks as we pray and fast together as a body of believers. I am, I am certain that God wants to do something in your life. He wants to knock an idol off of his throne. All right, he wants to take back his rightful seat in somebody's life over these next 21 days. He wants to tear down a stronghold in somebody's life so that his glory shines fresh and new over your face. This is what God wants to do. Our God wants to, to mend broken hearts in this house. He wants to mend broken families. He wants to, uh, to mend broken relationships. He wants to comfort those in distress, and he wants to reveal himself to those who are seeking him. But we have to posture ourselves to receive what he is wanting to give us. We have to posture our hearts physically, 
posture our, our, our bodies before the throne of God so that he can work all things for our good and for his glory. This is why we're doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. This isn't just a trendy church plant thing to do. This is biblical, God-honoring, self-humbling. This is why we do this. So maybe you missed a week. That's fine. Jump in. I think God's going to honor your efforts. Maybe you didn't go as hard as you could have this last week. You only prayed like maybe two or three times, and, and you only fasted from easy things like spam or Brussels sprouts or liverwurst, you know, things that weren't like a real challenge. I wasn't going to eat those anyways, but I guess I'll fast from them. That's fine. You still have 14 days to change your approach and give your very best to God. And I'm confident that when you give your best to God, revelation and, and blessings will flow in abundance from that. And so uh, I was actually going to, I, I had ri- originally written in my notes, I was going to ask if, uh, if there was just one person uh, in the house that had kind of a, a, uh, a testimony of, of, of maybe what God's done over these first seven days as a, as a means of encouragement to everybody else, that, that maybe you've, you've gone seven days and, and, and you haven't really felt God move that much, you haven't seen anything impactful or powerful happen. Uh, and so I, I kind of wrote that in my notes, and then I was like, you know what, maybe we won't do it today, we'll, we'll, we'll wait till another time. But then actually uh, somebody spoke to me earlier and said that they had something uh, to share. And so uh, Juan, one of our elders, Elder Juan, is going to come on up <laughs> and share. I don't know which one this one is, Ian. Uh, that was a mistake. <laughs> I do want to share with a lot of folks that have been helping us this week. Uh, it all starts by doing the Lord's Prayer. And I do want to thank
me. I'm going to pray real quick. God, we, um, we, we lift up uh, the sings. We lift up uh, Nina and Sim and, and, and this, um, this tough, tough time. Uh, we don't have the answers. We don't know this side of heaven why things like this happen. Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we can't grasp it with our minds. We can't understand it. But, but God, we do know that you do sit on the throne, uh, that you are the king of kings, uh, and that nothing happens outside of your control. And so uh, we have to trust in you. We have to believe in you. We have to believe that there is a purpose and a plan and that you will work all things for, uh, for your glory. And so, um, uh, God, we do pray over them uh, here this morning. We pray over the Benettis as they're coming alongside uh, their daughter and, and, and the family uh, during this tough time. We do pray that, God, that you will continue to be glorified in this situation, that you will continue uh, to, to just receive all glory and all honor as you continue to answer prayers and continue to be a light uh, in, in a dark, dark situation. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we are, uh, we're going to spend a little more time uh, covering two more core values. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how far we get. Uh, two more core values, and these could each honestly be their own sermon or maybe even their own series, but we'll spend a few moments on each, and hopefully you'll be able to have a better grasp of why we have these as our core values. And so I'm going to spend uh, probably a little more time on the first, and then we'll see how much time we have to get to the second one. Uh, the, the first one is this, and, and you, can, you can write this down if you're a note taker. Uh, this is uh, core values. Actually, if you're looking at our list, it's number nine. Uh, God created us to embrace creativity. God created us to embrace creativity. Now, at first glance, uh, I'll admit that, that this looks a little different than the others on the list. This one might sound a little out of place to some people, and I get that. God created us to be image bearers. God created us to be kingdom builders. God created us to serve God in the city. These are some of our core values. And then we get to this last one uh, where it says that, that, that God has created us to embrace creativity. And it might sound a little out of place, but I want you to, to, to stick with me here for a second. We value creativity because we serve a creative God. Just think about all the forms of, of, of natural beauty in the world. Who created the mountains, the, the valleys, the rivers, the oceans, the beaches? Who created the sunsets? Just so you, just so you could post a picture on Instagram and say, God's handiwork, hashtag no filter. That's why he did it, I'm convinced. Who created light and color, everything that we visually see? What about all the different kinds of tastes and smells and sounds? Think about the best food you ever ate. Sure, a chef made it in a restaurant, but it was God who imbued the flavors into the ingredients. A creative God. Who created music? Made it so that certain sounds elicit certain emotions and, and stir up passions and feelings. I want you to think about this. There are uh, at least 350,000 species of beetles. I have to say, if I were the one creating the beetles, I probably would have stopped at no more than 100,000. 100,000, I'm done. 100,000 beetles is probably good enough, but God created over 350,000 species of beetles. There are more than 250,000 species of flowers and flowering plants. 4,629 species of mammals, from the bumblebee bat, which weighs two grams, to the great blue well, 110 feet long, weighing 150 tons. I want you to consider with me the diversity in size. 
okay, from, from all the way down at the subatomic level, particles with names like quarks, muons, and neutrinos, all the way up to the Milky Way galaxy containing 200 billion suns with a diameter of 100,000 light years. And beyond that, there are more than 100 billion more galaxies like that known, not known, and un- known and unknown, actually. The Bible begins with the creation of the heavens and the earth, and it ends with the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So we value creativity and innovation because our God is a creative God and because we, having been created in his image, are creative beings. It's a part of who God is and it's a part of who we are. But let me transition for a second because my goal is not to convince you that God is creative. Just look around for that. All right, just look around. But I want to come from a different angle to show you that we are meant to embrace I want to show you how we are meant to embrace our own creativity and allow God to use us. Because many people in this room wouldn't consider themselves particularly creative. I, I get that. You're probably sitting there thinking, well, I think I'll, I'll leave the creativity to the artists and the writers and the seven-year-olds with finger paints. That's, that's where creativity belongs. I don't have a creative bone in my body, maybe some people are thinking. So, uh, but, but I believe that we are created in the image of God. He's a creative God, therefore we are created creative, created beings. And so let me ask you this. If you saw Jesus as an artist, what kind of art do you think he would create? What would be the reflection of the essence of Jesus? And while you ponder that for a moment, I want to take you to one of the more curious places where Jesus performs a miracle. It's Jesus' first miracle, actually, as recorded in Scripture. It's when Jesus turns water into wine. And we're not talking about dollar store box wine here, no offense if that's your speed. But we're talking about good wine. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. Good wine. The best wine. Now, this this is the the introduction, in a sense, of Jesus to his followers. Okay? That he's showing them with this example that he is God walking among them. All right, this is what's happening in this story. So let's look at this uh, for a moment together in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, uh, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, I don't know if he said it that way. Woman? Woman. Whoa, man. What? I don't know. He said it some way. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. All right, so this is is not part of the message. This is incidental. uh, But I love this conversation between Jesus and his mom. They're at a wedding. It's not even Jesus' wedding. It's not his family's wedding. It's just somebody's wedding. All right, we've all been there. We've been to somebody's wedding that we're not like super, you know, family connected to. We're just there because we got invited and, and we got to show up or maybe we were, we're plus one. All right, so somebody else's wedding, they run out of wine. That's not Jesus's problem. <laughs> Has anybody at any wedding ever come up to you, you have no connection really, and said, hey, we're out of wine, bud. Can you help us out? No, you don't. That's, that's weird. That's, it's not his problem. But his mom makes it his problem. They're out of wine, she says. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. It's kind of like a son. I I just picture a son saying, Mom, that's not my problem. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to hang out. 
But I love what Mary does. She doesn't even respond uh, to what he says. She ignores everything he says, in fact. And, and, and it says that his mother said to the servants, his mother turns and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> because I'm his mom and he's going to do what I asked. By the way, this is Mary's only command in Scripture do what Jesus tells you. That's the only thing she ever commands in Scripture. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Okay, let's move on. Um, verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted uh, the water, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. They serve the good wine first, and then when everybody's feeling pretty good, the poor wine comes out. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed him, believed in him. Okay. Do you ever read the Bible and just think to yourself, this, this line doesn't fit. This doesn't make sense. But because it's in the Bible, we know it does. Right? You read something, and, and this doesn't make any sense, but it's in the Bible. So I've, I've got I've to believe. See, this last line doesn't make any sense to me. And this is how Jesus manifested his glory. This is how Jesus chose to, turning water into wine, is how Jesus decided to manifest his glory. And his disciples believed in him because of that. It didn't take much, I guess. I guess here's what I'm thinking. If I'm, if I'm God, and I'm not, but if I'm God, if I'm going to open up to the world and tell the world that I'm God, I'm not going to start by turning water into wine. To, to be honest, it feels like it's somewhere between a miracle and a magic card trick. Like it just feels a little weird, a little odd, a little out of place. Right? I think I would start, I would have led with walking on water. I mean, that's going to submit me as the Messiah. That's going to submit me as a divine being right there, walking on water. That's, that's the trick. Maybe, maybe I would have led with maybe feeding a couple thousand people with some fish and loaves. Maybe I would call out someone's name who's been dead for four days and bring them out of the tomb alive. You see, these are some big-time miracles. That's what the kind of stuff I think I would expect from God, people would expect from God. Turning water into wine, how is this how he manifested his glory? To my humble human mind, it doesn't make sense. And I've studied this passage, and I know that there are ceremonial and religious and traditional implications and all of that, but what about the actual implications? He just turned water into wine. Is it really a huge human dilemma that there is not enough wine at the wedding? I mean, all the problems in the world, you think that this will be one that God would say, all right, I'm going to step away from this one, let you guys have your party, I'm going to focus on the big things like reconciling a broken world to myself, right? Like, I feel like that's just kind of but there's something here we just can't miss. Like, that's, that's just my humanness coming out, but, but there's something here that we can't miss. Because when Jesus takes them through this process of turning water into wine, I think we learn a lot about Jesus as an artist, as a creative, as a creator. Now, many of you know that I'm also 
a graphic designer or, or graphic artist, if you will, and people ask me all the time, does, does the art really matter? Does the design really matter? Does visual beauty really matter that much? And as a pastor, people might ask, <clears throat> does it really matter if we create something out of our lives? Does, it, does God really care about the small things in our lives? Now, I thought about this exact miracle in either circumstance. <coughs> and I have to say, well, let's look at Jesus. He turns water into wine at a wedding for his opening act. That's how he sets the stage. Again, it seems kind of like a small deal. It didn't change the world. It didn't end poverty. It didn't stop all the violence. It didn't end all the wars. It didn't overthrow an empire and set a nation free. And so uh, there's something here that we need to make sure we see then. Because there's a reason why this was the very first thing that, that Jesus did in his ministry. And so, so Jesus has them all grab giant barrels, and, and they're empty. And he says, fill them with water. And then he says, uh, he says, fill them with water. And he says, all right, I want you to take that to the master of the ceremony. And again, I look at scripture and I ask why. I'm always asking why. Uh, what is God doing here? What is the purpose of this here? And so I'm here thinking to myself, why did he have them fill the water? I mean, if he could turn water into wine, couldn't he just put water into the empty barrels? Like instead he says, okay, I want you to take care of the first half and then I'm going to take care of the second half. I'm going to show up later and do something later. This is kind of one of those odd things. Wouldn't it have been a greater miracle if he just went like, bam, there's water in the barrels and now bam, I'm going to turn it into wine. But he does it a little differently. He does it a little differently. Um, you see, church, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to start tying this into creativity. I promise. Uh, for for those wondering, one of the unique ways that God works is that He calls us to bring what we have. He calls us to bring what we have, so that when we bring what we have, He touches that and gives us what it becomes after He has been a part of it. Okay, so that's what he, he wanted from them. He wanted them to bring the water, bring what they had. They didn't have any wine, but they had water. So bring that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch that. But by the way, we didn't create the water either. See, this is the nuance of the thing is that God created the water as well. See, God created the water because God, in his essence, is the source of all life. And, and so God created water because we need water to live. And, and he sustains us all, whether we believe in him or not, whether we uh, reject him or acknowledge him. God provides water for all of life. And so that water that they brought wasn't something they created. And that's the crazy thing about the way God works in our lives. That's the creative process is that God's not asking you <coughs> to create something out of nothing. He's not asking you to create something out of nothing. He's asking you to take what you already have, what he's already given you, and bring it to him so that he can do more with you and with that to bring glory to his name and for the, for the glory and the expansion of his kingdom. And so when God's saying, I want your talent, I want your intelligence, I want your passions, I want your discipline, I want your character, I want all of you, he's not asking you for something he didn't already give you. He's asking you to bring it back to him to trust him with the very things he entrusted to you from the beginning. See, all of us, whether we're like water, all of us are, all of us are honestly like water that has not yet been put in a jar and given back to God. Because then he turns that water into wine. But like I said, it's kind of nuanced. It does, he doesn't just turn it into wine and then they know it's wine. He says, now serve it to the master of the ceremony. And so they take that water, and, and somewhere in there, 
during the course of this process, <laughs> during the course of this process, it becomes wine. It becomes wine. And not just any wine. The master of the ceremony says it's the best wine I've ever tasted. Why did Jesus go out of his way to create the very best Merlot anyone's ever tasted? I mean, everybody is drunk. Can I say that? I don't know if I can say that. Everybody's drunk. See, that's the implication here. Everybody is, everybody's had too much to drink. No one's really at the height of their awareness. They've all been dulled in their senses. That's why the master of ceremony says usually at this point, that's when you pull out the cheap stuff. But instead, you've provided the best wine. Why did Jesus provide the best wine? I want to pause for a second. Have you ever felt like you wasted your best stuff on people who don't care? Like, like you bought the very best gift. You spent a lot of time thinking about it, and then the person just shrugs it away. You, you cook what you feel like is the very best meal, and the kids barely eat it. You really, like, nail those TPS reports at work, and then they just get shredded without a second thought. That we feel like sometimes we waste our best stuff on people. I think in this situation, that's kind of what the master of the ceremony thinks is somebody, I mean, he's pretty excited. I, I mean, you can tell he announces it. He's, 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 he's happy about it. But he's like, I, I kind of feel like you're wasting the best stuff right now because everybody's, everybody's already gone. Like, everybody's already had a good time. So why would Jesus provide the best? And I think this is why, because every artist creates out of their essence. And God would never create anything that wasn't the very best in the world. Now imagine the implications about you. I want to tie it into you for a second. You were created in the image and likeness of God. You are a reflection of the essence of God. The material for creating is a soul, and you have been given by God a soul designed in his image and likeness, and everything that God creates is the best. He never makes cheap wine, even if that would have done the trick. They would have been more than happy with cheap wine. They would have been more than happy with lower grade quality. But you see, when God gets involved, it's always the best. See, what we need to realize is that, is that we need to bring God our best selves. We need to get up every morning saying, God, I want to bring you everything I have, all my passion, all my talent, all my discipline. God, I want to bring everything I have. I want to be fully alive in this moment because what you deserve from me, God, is the very best I have to offer. It's all that I am. And if all you have to bring is the water, then that's what you bring. But you need to realize that when God is finished with you, you're going to be the best wine on the planet. And I love the fact that Jesus felt confident enough in what he created that, that, that he knew that they would want to know what the source was, where it came from. You see, he didn't sign it. He didn't, like, send them the barrels and sign it and say, wine by Jesus. He, he didn't put his name on it. He didn't trademark water wine and send it to them. No, he, he, he knew it was the quality and caliber of wine that would intrigue people. See, what would happen if we said, we're going to let the quality of our lives, the quality of our work, the quality of everything we do, we're going to make it so extraordinary. We're going to be so committed to being the best of the best of the best teachers the best bank tellers, the best doctors, the best janitors. We're going to be the best dancers and the best writers. We're going to be the best parents on the planet. We're going to be the best humans in the world, and we're going to be defined by love. 
And when people drink of our lives and go, where did this wine come from? Because it's better than anything else we've ever tasted in the world. God will get the glory. God will be glorified then. But it starts with us bringing all we have to him and allowing him to touch it. Listen, church, we might not consider ourselves creative, but we serve a creative God, and we are made in his image. We were created to embrace creativity. We have the best story in the world to tell, and that story can go far if it's, printed, if it's presented creatively. Mind you, the content of the gospel doesn't change. It stays the same. But the culture changes, and we want to present the gospel in a way that we can effectively reach the masses. It's the same thing Jesus did whenever he told his parables. He told creative stories that would impact the people around him. They knew, what he, they knew about agriculture. They knew about fishing. They knew about farming. They knew about building things. Not many of us know about that stuff. We go to the supermarket. We go to the furniture store. He knew what he was doing. He was, he was telling creative stories so that he can further push the gospel, the good news to people in, in a way that they could understand and hear it. We have a great story to tell, and we have to tell it in a creative way. We are creative beings. We're not going to make it to the second one. If you're looking at your watch, you know that's true. We're not going to make it to the second one. That's okay. But I want us to think about, just for a moment this week, uh, we're in our 21 days of, of prayer and, and fasting. We're seven days in. Today marks day number seven. And so we have 14 left. We're going to end on the 27th. It's a Sunday. We're going to end on that day. That'll be the final day of the fast. We're going to have an incredible uh, gathering here. It's going to be a concert of prayer. It's going to be a creative gathering. We're going to do something very, very different. So, so don't, uh, I hope you come expecting God to move and expecting to have an experience and an encounter with God. But don't come expecting to hear from me because I'm going to be worshiping and praying and it's going to be incredible. But here's what I want you to think about as we, as we think about this idea of creativity because I, I know it's probably one of the more unique ones on our list of core values. As we think about this idea of, of creativity, I think we approach God and we ask God, what do you want from me? We've already established that he wants everything. He wants your very best. He's going to touch it. He's going to use it. He's going to create something amazing out of it. But think about where you are in your life. Your job, your, your family, your neighborhood. Where are you situated? Where are you placed? What are some creative ways you can reach those around you? We went through this series uh, last year called The Art of Neighboring, and uh, we, we kind of talked through some of these ideas of how are we supposed to, to impact the world around us. Think outside the box. Get creative with the ways that you impact those that you come in contact with on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Creativity doesn't have to mean that you produce something on paper. That is a very narrow view of creativity. Everything is creative. Everything God's touched is a creation by a creative being. And we are 
created as creative beings. And so, uh, so I encourage you just to, to, to begin to think outside the box on stuff, to begin to, begin to stretch the boundaries of, of what you've always done and begin to say, how, how God, are you going to use me this year in 2019? How, God, are you going to take me beyond this? How are you going to move me into a new area of influence? How are you going to move me into a new sphere of influence? How are you going to use me to, to talk to people, to reach people, to speak to people? Like all of these different things we can go with. We just want God to, to touch our lives and to, to, to be crea- and allow us to be creative in, in how we approach things and how we tell this amazing story. Let me pray over you, and, um, and then we're just going to come and share some closing remarks. Father, we love you so much. We are so thankful that you created us. Not only that you created us, but you knit us together in our mother's womb. You knew us. You formed us specifically and intentionally. Every detail. You know the hairs on our head. You know us by name. God, thank you that you, we can look at all creation. We can look at nature. We can look at space. We can look at the subatomic molecular level. We can look at just our, our, our bodies and how we're created and who we are. And God, we can see just your, your fingerprints over everything. You are a creative God, and I pray that we will be your creative creation. That we will create things for your glory. That we will tell your story creatively to those around us. And that we will bring you our very, very best, even if it is nothing but water. Because we know that with you, Holy Spirit, you can turn that water into wine. And you can use it for your glory. We love you so much, God. We're so thankful for who you are and for what you're doing in our lives and in our midst. Pray that you would be with us over these 21 days over these next 14 days of the 21 days of prayer and fasting that you would continue to move uh, continue to do some incredible stuff continue to answer prayers and to speak into people's lives we are uh, so blessed to have this opportunity this time it's in Jesus name we pray